Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 34th episode, I had a great conversation with Don Kimes, an artist living and working out on the East Coast and Italy and all sorts of places. He talked at great length about his studio practice, about all the ideas behind his work and the history and evolution of it. It's a great interview, so hope you enjoyed that. But before we get to that, one last reminder that if you are a graduating MFA or BFA student and you just had a great show and would like to share it, I would suggest that you apply to the 2012 MFA-BFA competition. Once again, three winners from each category will be featured on Studio Break and have 30-minute interviews and also be included in a publication. If you'd like to find out more information on that, please go to Studio Break on Facebook. Just check out the fan page under the calendar events listings. You'll find more information there. If you have any questions, please contact me, David Linaway at hotmail.com. And just another reminder, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, it's also available on iTunes if you prefer to just save it and drag it into your iTunes library or put it on your iPod. So please just search for Studio Break under podcasts there. That's it. We've got Don Kimes coming up right now, so stay tuned. All right, welcome to Studio Break. I'm your host, David Linaway, and my guest today is Don Kimes. How are you today? Good. Good to see you, Dave. Likewise. It'll be interesting to see uh, what you've uh, got to talk about today and, and all the stories that you might have. You know, before we get to where you grew up in that, um, you know, where you're at now and, and some of the things that you do now. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, I, right now, I mean, I show in New York. I have a, my, my, you know, I've been showing, most recently I show with uh, Denise Bibro, fine art in New York. Um, and uh, sort of always think of myself as an artist first, but I also, uh, you know, in a, in a certain sense, I don't think there's any real line between that and the rest of your life. And so I'm also, a, uh, I've been teaching at American University in Washington, D.C. for the last 24, 25 years, uh, and uh, still teaching at American. Uh, I teach two classes a semester, one grad class, one undergrad class. And then I run the program, I'm running the program here at Chautauqua, get to Italy as often as I can, and um, deal with all the, the rest of what happens in, in, in the exigencies of DJ existence. Sure, sure. Um, well, and you know, and again, that's something that I that I really want to hit on is the that relationship of, of your traveling now in terms of where your time is spent. But you know, to kind of start it all off, then um, where did you where did you grow up, and and what were those kinds of experiences like? And I, I think you know, again, this might be something that. I'm curious about it in terms of the way that it shows up in the in the work eventually too. But um, what yeah, was that like? Yeah. Um, you may be remembering an old lecture or something because that made something pop into my head that I hadn't talked about in a long time. I grew up, uh, you know, in, in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, the first, 12, you know, until I was 12, we lived in a tiny little town called Oil City, Pennsylvania, which is very rural. And I used to spend a lot of time on the Allegheny River there. Uh, and I, I can remember being, my, my cousin and I had a boat, and I can remember going up and down the river looking at the rocks. And the rocks have played a big role in my thinking in a much more complex way. The older I've gotten, the more, you know, and, and all-encompassing that sense of what those, you know, what rocks mean in terms of time and, 
and uh, um, our relationship to the planet and all that kind of thing. But I can just remember, you know, paddling, rowing that boat up and down the river and looking at the rocks and being really interested in them in, uh, in Oil City, Pennsylvania. Later moved to Pittsburgh, stayed there through high school and then went to college and then went right to New York. Right, right. Well, and I mean, were you invested in terms of uh, making art um, when you when you were younger? I mean, did you do the, the kind of most typical things that normal kids do? I, I, I'm curious because it seems like there's so much that's about nature now that I'm just curious what your experiences, you know, were like when you were younger. Then, my, my, when I was younger, my experiences were definitely about nature. I mean, my own. Uh, uh, I spent all my time outside. You know, you know. First of all, I'm old enough that when and, and lived in a rural town, there were three television stations. You know, there was right. the, and 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 you didn't have anything to do inside. So I spent all my time outside, and I, I've always found nature sort of my uh, 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 to be my my uh, spiritual embrace. Um, the the uh, I, I, in terms of thinking about when I. When I came to art, you know that that's uh, never not been part of my thinking. I mean, I always, I actually have always my my. Uh, it's you know I have many artist friends who didn't you know didn't decide that they were going to go down this path until much later in their lives. You know, some some were already out of college before they decided to do it. But I it never occurred to me in my entire life to do anything else. I mean, I can remember being. You know, four years old and going over to my grandparents on Saturday mornings. He was an insurance salesman, and he had uh, reams of uh, this gridded paper that he used, but the backside was blank. And I would, I, I would go over there at seven o'clock on Saturday morning and start drawing, and draw, and, and, and go home when it got dark and have, having spent the whole day drawing. So it, it just never occurred to me that I, you know, I kind of, I, I think it's not the normal case to, to uh, be like that but I just never thought of being anything else I didn't I don't know what everybody else does <laughs> right right <laughs> um, and so and, and did you wind up then taking a lot of classes like you know even previous in terms of college or was it all just kind of more something that you did you know you just grew. it was just more something that I did I mean I was an art major in college I went to a little tiny well I went to like five different schools I kept bouncing around but uh I was an art major, and, and you know that's what I wanted to do. So. And I mean, in terms of then the the types of things that you're exploring in terms of subject, I mean, was it you know at, a, at an early point in your career? I mean, was it all then kind of representational kind of work that that you might have? And again, one of the things that I think is interesting yeah. is that you know I realized that, um, or at least you know obviously different schools are set up in different ways and. Right. You know, there might be different concerns at different points uh, in terms of uh, our history, too. So um, was it all kind of representational stuff or? Yeah. yeah. When I, I mean, as a, as a kid, it was like, I mean, the way you show off is, is by drawing a horse better than the kid next to you and being the best kid in the class, the best horse drawer in right, the class. Right, right. That everybody wants to watch you make a horse head, you know? Right, right, right. Uh, and so it was more, so, I mean, that's, I'm there I'm talking about grade school, but. But, um, you know, even in, in when I got older, the first, uh, and I don't know, you know, I actually sort of uh, evolved, uh, you know, at a time when, um, uh, well, I became a, an, an adult artist during the whole minimal conceptual phase. 
But my own interest had always been um, representational. And I, I was very interested in representational work. My work now is not representational in any traditional sense at all. Uh, and hasn't been for 30 years. But as a, a young artist, it was, uh, you know, in, in school it was about, you know, a very traditional kind of grounding and drawing and seeing in, um, uh, um, you know, trying to get it to look like it was. And, and, and to some extent, that that sort of uh, technical skill you mm -hmm. know, um, in terms of trying to get a figure to look like a figure or get a head to look like a head, that kind of thing. Um, that was the training, and actually that training continued. Um, I'll just I'll just go ahead. You can throw questions in when you're ready. But sure. I, when ideas pop into my head, I'll, I'll say them. I was, you know, I went to, uh, I studied art in several places, and then eventually I was in graduate school in Pittsburgh, and I quit and decided that I wanted to, in my last semester of graduate school, like, I, uh, in a huff, uh, walked out of a classroom and said, I'm going to New York, I don't need this. And six days later, my now my wife of, of uh, 35 years, then my girlfriend, six days later we were living in New York. So what, you know, I'm getting at this idea too of, of you know, also then did you, were you kind of exploring a lot of different different materials then too as you, as you, you know, went through your undergraduate and graduate studies or was it all primarily kind of, the uh, 2D and representational kind of approaches. It's interesting. You know, I, um, I haven't thought about this a whole lot, but it was mostly, I mean, the ex any kind of experimentation I did, I did on my own. Mm -hmm. I had a really traditional, you know, education. I mean, my, my first teacher was a guy named Robert Godfrey, who's still alive and is a, he was very young as a teacher. And he was very interested in figurative painting. He got me, you know, introduced to some well-known figurative painters, and, and, and he, you know, he had given me some ideas about who to see when I first moved, when I left for New York. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I looked up Paul Georges, and I looked up Leland Bell, and and uh, and, and ended up landing at the studio school. And there, I did. I, I went back and started taking classes, and there we drew from the figure. Um, four hours a day, five days a week, from 1 till 5. No, it was from, you know, 1.30 till 5.30, five, day, every five days a week we drew from the figure. So my, my you know, my training was not sort of like most, um, you know, 60s, 70s art school training, which was really more expressions of. My training was really very disciplined. Um, and, and I, you know, I think it was, it was useful. I think... Uh, I'm not saying that's what it should be for everyone, because mm -hmm. I think there were you know, many people who never got beyond their training, who only learned that language and thought and confused that language with art, which is a big mistake. It's like, I'm talking to you right now, but I wouldn't confuse what I'm saying with poetry. Right, right. <laughs> no, I hear what you're saying. Um, well, and, and again, I mean, maybe maybe something too that we, that might might be worthwhile in discussing later too is because that's some that's something that's such a difficulty in terms of you know transitioning from being someone that is just a student of art, um, you know, to really making their own work, you yeah. know, which is which is difficult. And I think especially you know especially now there's there's such a I think a desire for people to become well you know they want to be able to support themselves, and so it might be something where you're distracted by some some kind of trend or some kind of way of working that might not be genuine so um 
you know, I'll, I'll make a note of that so we can kind of come back to that. Um, okay. but, um, but so what was it? I mean, so what was it like? I mean, you just you just pick up and then move uh, New York. You're in six uh, New York less than a week later, um, and then you were enrolled in classes and. Um, well, I was in New York, and I got we. Uh, Bob had told me to look up uh, this art critic named Louis Finkelstein, and um, I was young and naive enough not to know that you don't just look their name up in the phone book and call them up. Mm-hmm. So I looked his name up in the phone book and said, "Can I come up and show you my portfolio?" Right. And uh, we, you know. He, I had, I, you know, we stopped. I, I remember we, we had been there like a day, and I was staying with a friend of mine uh, out in Queens somewhere. And uh, we stopped on the way in on Canal Street and bought this laminated breadboard, just a square piece of, uh, it was, uh, you know, ebony and, and uh, maple, so it was dark and light stripes. And this is in the 70s, you know, in the heyday of minimal painting. Mm-hmm. I. We bought the lead breadboard, then drove up to Louis. I, I did everywhere to put it, so I threw it in my portfolio and got up there and um, went in the house and I opened my portfolio for Louis. And before I could say anything, he picked up the breadboard and started talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, you know, I thought, this guy, you know, he's been written about it. You know, I remember reading him in, in college in my book on modern art, you know. I was intimidated. I was too intimidated to say, "Look, Mr. Finkelstein, that's not a piece of art. That's actually a breadboard." Right, right. He, gave a, he delivered a wonderful critique. <laughs> my breadboard. He, the rest of the stuff in the portfolio was pretty shitty, so he didn't. Right. <laughs> he only talked about the breadboard to me. But the point, the thing is, I was. I think so much of what we do has to do with sort of being open to possibilities and and just. Um, uh, going for it uh, without weighing all your options. So you talk about people being worried about making a career choice. You don't think about. I mean, you you, you have to feed yourself, but once you get past that, you uh, you just go for it. So I just you know we just said let's go to New York. We had no job. We had five hundred dollars saved up between us. My, Lois and I had five hundred dollars saved up between us. Louis looking at my breadboard, and and my car is parked out in front of their house. And Gretna, his wife, Gretna Campbell, who was one of the big influences in my life, um, Gretna walks in and says, "Is that your car out there?" And I said, "Yeah." And she said, "Would you like a job?" So I ended up. She was moving. Uh, they were moving out of their place on in, up in the eighties into, you know, Soho was just starting to happen then, and they were moving down to a a loft that they bought, a 3,000 square foot loft that they bought for something like $60,000 down in Soho, and um, I said, sure, so I helped them move down there, and then I ended up helping them renovate that loft, and then I helped, uh, they also had a a farmhouse out in uh, the Delaware Water Gap. In, uh, on the border between New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and I had helped renovate that house. It got me six months' worth of work. You know, that breadboard was worth it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Because <laughs> otherwise, we could have been talking about my art instead of Retina noticing my car. Right, right. <laughs> and it, it, so it was very uh, fortuitous, but I think it's always been like that. You know, I think it, I think that, that it's that way for everyone. You know, it's, it's, not, just, it's not luck. It's like being... You know, it's, it, you know, um, there's a Thoreau statement where he says, uh, I, you know, oh, he says, he says, 
important rules. Of course I have rules. Um, but I need to be able to recognize daylight when it happens, too. You know, meaning like you build this structure, but it doesn't. But you don't have to always stay with that structure. So I wanted to go to New York and do certain things, but I ended up renovating lofts for the first you know year or so that I lived there. Fell into the studio school, took a job as the janitor at the studio school. Um, I got my first teaching job out of that being a janitor at the studio school because, and, and this is another similar kind of. Uh, event, I was, I was the third or fourth person that had been asked to take that job as janitor, and the people before me didn't want to take a job as a janitor. They wanted something, you know, I'm, I'm an artist, I need something more than that. And I was sweeping the steps, and uh, uh, between the one floor where the dean's office was and another floor where a uh, painting studio was, where Gretna Campbell was teaching. And again, I had gone to graduate school already. I just hadn't you know, finished. Right. And um, I was standing there sweeping the steps, and Gretna walked out and said to the dean, uh, who walked out at the same time, and I'm sweeping away. Uh, Gretna said, I, I'm teaching at Yale two days a week. I'm teaching here two days a week. It's too much. You know, I've got to, I've got to drop one of these days. And the dean said, well, geez, well, you know, the semester's already underway. Where am I going to get somebody to take that other day? And I'm sweeping, and Gretna just looked down, and we knew each other well. She said, well, what about Dawn? And that's how I got my first teaching job, was, was to take half of her class. Right, um, right. If I hadn't taken the job as the janitor, if I kept my nose up in the air, you know, I could, I don't sure. know what would have happened. Sure. <laughs> well, no, and I think, you know, and again, that could be something that's, you know, especially valuable now, because I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just different times, you know, like in terms of, I guess I would say entitlement, for example, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I might think that I might think that younger artists might think just like, I'm just going to, I got the degree now. I'm supposed to just get a job. So I, I think that's a, it's a good story and it can be kind of an important, yeah, important thing to, to think you know, about. There's a, you know, there is on some level, everybody talks about, about that sense of entitlement, but I think that's just related to youth. You know, I don't think right. that that's, uh, you know, a whole lot different than some other times. Maybe, maybe somewhat different. But uh, you know, I've always said my favorite graduate—the uh, the favorite graduate students I have to work with—are the ones who are three years out of school, um, because all of that kind of idea, you know, reality takes care of it. Right, um, right. And 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 you realize that it's it. You know, you have chosen a very difficult life, and um, and you're. You know, the reason it's been difficult and is difficult up to that point, I think one reason is because you shouldn't be in it unless you absolutely want to be in it. Right, right. Uh, um, but anyway, the, that it is an interesting thing. There is some of that entitlement thing. I've been teaching now for since 1979, so that's 30... Two years. Sorry. Almost yeah. 33. I, 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 30 years, yeah. Yeah, so, well... I, I, mean, I, I, I have a kind of a good perspective on what students are like over time. And I don't think they're all that different. Everybody always thought they were going to be the next, you know, the next Pollock or the next Bryce Martin or the next Damien Hurst or the next, what you name it, you know. Uh, and then the world, you know, you, you come to a place where you realize you're doing this because you love to do it or you get out of it. I mean, that was the great thing about the art market bust a few years ago was all the fluff fell out. Right. 
Right. Yes. Well, and so, um, and so, did you then just pretty much transition into teaching at the the studio school and then making work? Yeah, I, I did that. I did that for, and, uh, and then very quickly, uh, the studio school was notorious for for uh, a lot of politics, and uh, there was a war, and and it was you know people like these major figures like fighting with one another, Dory Ashton and, and Meyer Shapiro, and uh, you know these. All the artists fighting about who should be the next dean at the school, and uh, you know, fighting with the board of trustees, the board of trustees fighting with some of the artists, some of the artists fighting with other artists, um, and uh, um, a lot of people got knocked off. And I, it wasn't that I was all that good. I think I was just too insignificant to be noticed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I. Uh, um, became, I you know, I was the janitor one year, and I was the program director the next year. Right, right. And and uh, and you know, teaching and and I stayed there for ten or eleven years at the studio school teaching. I was program director for about five or six years. And, sure. And, and I still love the place. Still feel very affectionate to it, and, and uh, think it's a, a you know an important place. Sure. Um, I can't believe that it has survived. Uh, it's. It's uh, you know against many odds, uh, but, right. but that's where I started teaching, and I gained a lot of. I think that's where I got my real education after sure. after going to school. Um, I did end up going back and finishing my uh, MFA at Brooklyn College, and um, uh, while I was teaching, because um, that was a point in time in, in the um, late seventies. When it was clear that you really did, start, it was starting to become clear that you you really did need to have an MFA if you were going to get a teaching job that was right. going to last. So um, you know, a lot I was right on the cusp. I mean, some of my friends got got MFAs and some of them didn't. Uh, but you know, late in retrospect, I think it was a good thing that I went back and finished it because schools can't even think about hiring you now if you don't have that degree. Right. So, right. Well, and, and so where where was your studio space then during this time? And then, you know, was there a transition then from moving from Pittsburgh to New York in terms of the work? Because I would imagine that, and this is just based off of my, I mean, you know, I, I feel an affinity towards landscape. And, um, you know, that's something that I noticed, especially traveling. So was that, was there a big shift in the work or was it? There was a big shift because I had never painted landscape directly. I'd been painting figures mm-hmm. uh, and had was interested in people, you know, like I said, like Lee LaBelle and, and Philip Perlstein and, and Jack Beale and, uh, um, you know, Jane Fryland. Well, Nell Blaine was another one I liked, uh, but mostly figurative painters. Uh, and um, when I got to New York and met Gretna, I mean, it's interesting. I'm living in, in, in New York in Brooklyn and, and ended up, that's when I started to become interested in the landscape. And started going out. We, I'd go away on the weekends and go up to the Catskills and paint and that sort of thing. Um, the you know transition was yeah that was the biggest part of the transition was that in some sort of uh, uh, masochistic way I moved to New York and became a landscape painter. Right, right. Which <laughs> <laughs> uh, is like the hardest thing you could possibly decide to do. First of all, it's in a time, and I was working, you know, I was teaching at the studio school. There were, you know, there were, I was very aware, and, and I was running this, you know, doing a lot of running of the studio school. There was a dean, but I was the program director. 
And uh, there were several deans. I can't remember how many over a period of five or six years. But the, um, you know, we had people coming through like like Susan Rothenberg or Bryce Martin or or earlier artists like like Lee Krasner and, and Elaine de Kooning or uh, um, Sandra Kia, Francesco Clemente, um, the, the or you know a lot of uh, John Cage. So I was very aware of what was happening in 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 terms of art in the 60s and 70s, you know, and I was very aware of the fact that you could not be a landscape painter. That that was, like, anything but right. was okay. Uh, and so I, I don't but I felt like I really wanted to learn more about seeing. And I, I painted, land, so I, I, I started painting landscape in the, in the you know, late 70s, um, which is absolutely the absolute worst time in the world, I think you could decide to become a landscape painter. Right. So, but, uh, and, and I say it was, I say that because it was done in a, with a, a consciousness about how, um, how little it meant to the larger art world. And, but to me personally, as an artist, I felt like it was the place that was going to give me the most. Um, it was the place that I, it was energizing me. And I didn't, I really didn't know why. I thought I was interested in the landscape. In retrospect, looking back over a, a you know, longer career, I, I, I realized that it was, there were elements of the landscape that I was attracted to. It wasn't the landscape per se, but it was sort of the idea, you know, like I mentioned rocks at the beginning. You know, I think of... Uh, uh, some of these paintings of rocks that I did, and, and I think about you know the the fact that like a tree growing next to a given rock on on a, a creek in upstate New York might be the hundredth tree to grow beside that rock, grow you know, blossom, die, decay, and another tree grows up in its same space. And, and the way the water goes past that rock and that tree and changes every second of every day. And that whole intersection of time, I think, is and, and, and permanence and our place in the universe. And, um, and that's, you know, and what's contained in, in the history of that rock and what that, that means on some metaphoric level is really what has been the consistent line in my work as it's gone through changes and changes and changes over decades. Um, but at the time, I thought I was painting landscapes. <laughs> well, and, and, and then, too, I guess, because we haven't really talked necessarily about uh, the materials of the actual work. So, I mean, at the time, were you, um, you know, doing watercolor or drawing or oil painting? I was painting doing or? watercolor, and I was uh, work, oil painting, watercolor, oil, oil paint, charcoal, watercolor were the main things I was working with back then. Okay. Um, I did, I, I did. Lots and lots of, I, I love doing quick little watercolor sketches. I love a lot of the, I've done an a, a essay and helped put together a show of 19th century Hudson River School painters when I was an undergraduate. And, uh, you know, people like Jasper Cropsey and Frank John Kensett and, and uh, you know, that whole Hudson River, George and Innes, that whole Hudson River School uh, really fascinated me. And they all did watercolor sketches and then went back and did, you know, big theatrical uh, blockbuster paintings. So. Sure. Um, and so, I guess, how long then were you were you working with those themes? And um... well, I did that. I started started 
I guess, you know, late 70s, 77, somewhere in there, I started painting the landscape. Yeah, 77. And, because uh, that's when I met Gretna. And, uh, I continued painting those landscapes until, uh, I guess at some point in the, um, mid-80s, early, like around 83, 84, 85, somewhere in there. I, I, there was one point, I used to, I, I tell this story about um, my interest in this particular landscape uh, where I, uh, and, and you've probably heard this story, um, was going up to the Catskills on the weekends early on after we'd moved to New York. And I, we, I came upon this ad in the paper, was able to buy a cabin really cheap up there, $6,000. And uh, because the land was being contested. But I figured it would take three years to uh, kick me out of the cabin. Right. So that was worth $6,000. <laughs> in fact, they never did kick me out of the cabin. I, I kept it and sold it to somebody else and told them the land's being contested, but the price is $6,000. So, right. And, and um, I guess they thought the same way I did. Um, but I went down over the hill there and um, climbed up on this rock and started painting the landscape. And um, in, in, in the context of this story, I also think of Giacometti, who was a big hero for me as a young artist. Um, there's a story about Giacometti when he was making his early, much more conceptually driven work, the, you know, the woman with her throat slit, all that, the, the, the kind of work that was not the Giacometti that's the signature Giacometti, it was more the surrealist work that he was doing before he became Giacometti. And he writes this letter about... Um, uh, Deciding that he's, he, he feels that he's stuck in his conception, that he cannot, you know, your ideas will only take you so far. And he said, I thought I, I should go back to nature. So he said, he says in this letter that I thought I should t get a model. Uh, this, this I felt would take, you know, and I just draw from the model and not think too much about it. This I, I felt would take a week, maybe two. And then he says, and five years later, the distance across the bridge of her nose was like the Sahara. Right, right. That's when Giacometti was born. You know, that's when the Giacometti, and he, he, you know, worked from that same model for five years. And I, I kept going back down to that same rock for, I, you ask how long it took. I remember going back to that rock. I went six years in a row. I went, I painted on, I stood on that rock four days a week and right. painted landscapes. Right. Uh, and then at a certain point, uh, and that it just fed me. And then at a certain point, I started taking some of the paintings back. I'd always painted directly. So I'd take them back to my studio. I had a studio in New York in Greenwich Village, little, you know, artist garret studio. Um, I, I, I later got a studio in, in Williamsburg, a huge space, but I only had it for a couple of years. Um, but And that was before Williamsburg was the hot place. But, um, because my, my 2,500 square feet, studio over in Williamsburg was $150 a month. But, um, the, the, so I had this little studio in, in, in the studio school up on the top floor where if you backed up, you hit your head into the ceiling. Um, and I, I started working on bringing the paintings back there and working on them in, and came to this point where I was like, you know, I'm working with oil paint. If you want to change a color, you have to like, let it dry or, and paint over it. Where you scrape it off and let it dry, and then paint the other color on. 
And so I started just putting acrylic on pieces of paper and holding it up and tacking it to the painting to see if I really wanted to make that change or not. You know, put it up, take it down. And um, that kind of, at one point, a light bulb went off, and I just said, you know, why, um, if, I, if this yellow is working, why don't I just leave the paper there? And it, that's when I started to move away from direct landscape, and I started working, and I got a residency at the Malay Colony, spent a month painting there, right in the middle of this crisis, and my work just kind of exploded out of that ability to paint all day, every day with no interruptions, and you know about residencies. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're like a little bubble world, I don't know. Like a little bubble where you get to leave the planet and just be in your art, and it was like a, it was one of the most focused experiences I can remember because I felt like I moved a year in a month um, and uh, and that, that that then became a 10 year exploration of collage and, well, and extraction well and something that you know I, I, I really learned actually while I was at Chautauqua and I remember at the time being extremely frustrated with what I was doing because I, I was making a lot of work that um, you know I, I kept coming back to certain questions of um you know, what does it matter, actually? Because I was making a lot of work that, you know, I would just get like, oh, this looks like this, or, you know, this looks like you're trying to do this. Oh, you mean it um, looks like somebody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, oh, and, that's so hard. Well, and, and, and the you thing... Know, what else? The, oh, that, that comes back but, to your question. But to get to this, so, so to get this point, you so you, you had given, I believe, the, the, the lecture, and again, this has probably been expanded upon, but... You know, you talked a little bit about the nature of that change, you know, that, that change and that evolution of your studio practice. So, and maybe this could be a good time to talk about it too. But I mean, you know, what's the nature of that in your work and, and how is that, you know, and this could be maybe that time where that really started to, to, to work. Because I, I think of the way that you're, you've got all these different materials going. Is this really when you started thinking about that or was I it always something that was there? I started thinking about the way material worked and that, but that, you know, that, that was the second time I thought I was doing... I actually, when I was doing the landscapes, knew I wasn't making original work. I knew it was it was an homage to my heroes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I knew it was an homage to, to Cezanne and to, you know, that, yeah, I, I realized it was... That, that was about the language or learning the language. Um, then I moved into the, this whole period where, where I was kind of using that experience of what those what that place felt like and trying to convey that sensation and that experience of, of movement and, and, and sequence and time and all those things. And, um, and I thought that was original, you know, I thought that, you know, I, my point, the point that I was going to come to is I, I really think, and I, I'm kind of setting myself up here, but I do believe the work, that I've been doing since I was uh, about 52, 53 years old is the first original work I've ever done. Mm -hmm. But through my whole life, except for that early phase in, the, in my early 20s, when 20 or mid, early mid-20s when I was painting the landscape, um, except for that phase, I always thought I was making work that was original. And then you bump up against something like that, you know, um, where uh, you think, Oh geez, you know, so and so is doing the same thing, you know, or this looks right. just like my work, you know, or are they, you know, and then they, then you get into are they taken from me, or did we just come to this together? Or is it? It's, and I, I think that um, 
That's a huge battle. On the other hand, I think, you know, Delacroix said it's not that everything's already been said, it's that everything that's already been said still isn't enough. Right. And, and there's, a, you know, it's, you know, we've got, what, the same seven Greek plot lines in all of literature. But we've got all of literature out of that. So, yeah, your stuff looks like somebody else. If you can peel away some of that and, 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 start, and dig deeper and be as authentic and genuine in your search as you possibly can, and, uh, um, you know, and, and you paint or make work for the experience that you can bring to it rather than for what you think it ought to be, um, I think then you have a chance at finding something that that is is uh, rather than novel, original. Right. Well, and so then how? Because uh, you're just talking about you know how you're tacking up these these different you know painted cards and, and piece of paper and that. I mean, did that, is that something that kind of generated um, you know just really exploring the the types of way that you'd use materials then? That started that. Yeah, yeah. That's what because I started. I actually started collecting on, on uh, I think it was Monday mo- Sunday mornings, I would go out um, in Soho, because there were still a lot of sweatshops in Soho, and they would throw out bags of, or you know, big garbage bags full of the dress patterns, uh, and, and what, you know, cutouts and things like that, and, and they would have these different colors and some drawing already on them, a lot of, you know, pattern already on them, accident already, you know, that, that would become an accident, and they would have these different textures, you know, thin paper that would become translucent and work like a glaze, um, and that, you know, that was, you know, initially it was like, oh, I'm going to paint paper and do this, and then it was like using the paper that I could find uh, on, on Sunday mornings in Soho. And um, and you, and those really became interesting um, uh, means for me to to explore material, um, and then that kept happening. And then then I started, you know, over time, it's ten years, you know, uh, it got more textural. It left the rectangle, which a lot of people did in the eighties, early nineties, uh, and and. Um, and the colors changed, the surfaces started to change. I started using, you know, wood that I could find, making collages out of it. I started using clay, uh, you know, fired clay. Start, so just expanding the, the, you know, and instead of, you know, rabbit skin glue or, or, or uh, gesso or some, or um, gel medium to, to make a collage, I found myself using things like Bondo. You know, the kind of stuff that you use to repair cars, um, and so the collage. You know, they became more textural, more, more material, um, and and did that over. You know, it was a gradual process. You, know, you do a slide talk, it looks like oh, we did this in ten minutes. You know, but it's it's like each minute is is two years. You know, sure. So, um, well, and it's something that I, that I've you know I've talked about over and over with all these interviews is just that you know those some of those changes seem so so small to someone else, but so they're so big in terms of right. the way that you see them and, and the, the small transitions that are so important. Um, and, that, and that's because you know every move that goes into something and the other person doesn't. Like, right. you put a piece of work on the wall, you know not just what's there right now, you know everything that went into that work before this showed up too, which they have no way of seeing. And 
Yeah, I, I think you know, we, our 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 measures are much, you know, as an artist in terms of our own work, our measures are much slower usually. Sure. Uh, uh, or and seem bigger. Um, you know, the great breakthrough where somebody moves off a, a rectangle to you know a circle, like. Well, that doesn't seem like a huge thing, you know. But sure, sure. Well, and and I guess so. At the, at the time, then you're 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 really exploring all these different materials, and um, you know, are, are obviously showing a lot. Um, I would imagine too. But um, is is something tra- like traveling uh, something that becomes a, a, a thing that influences the work um, at the that studio? Is or? That, that travel, I started really traveling in uh, nineteen ninety three. The first year that we moved to Italy, we moved to Italy and lived there for a year. Okay. Uh, and uh, um, that was another one of those things where uh, I I had uh, met an art critic uh, who, who who really liked my work, and um, she talked me into giving up on. I had been scheduled to have a sabbatical in Australia for the year. I was teaching, you know, by then I was teaching at American University, had a tenure track job, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the, uh, the, she had taught, and I was still working, doing the collages, but I had done some little things where I had poured some th- material by accident and picked up some uh, charcoal from a fireplace and drawn on a piece of steel that was sitting there. And let, left it sit there for a little while. For you know, I probably didn't even notice it for a month or two. And then one day, walked in and happened to notice it. And she said, "That's really interesting. That's way more interesting than all this other stuff around here." And um, <clears throat> so I started playing around with that. Thing. You know, this was a, another new material, uh, and I started get, playing around with these pieces of steel that I found. The initial pieces I found up at Chautauqua. In the in the uh, steel yard up here, and then I eventually started just buying raw steel that hadn't been treated uh, so that it would oxidize, uh, so that so that I could oxidize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I, I had this little piece, and these started making these little pieces, and got talking to um, this critic named Barbara Rose, and um, she uh, she convinced me that. I had no business going to Australia, but I should go to Spain or to Italy or someplace where there was a, you know, a, a, a real kind of feel for the kind of ideas of time that I had been talking about, the kind of intersection of nature and culture, the way that over time nature takes everything back. These were all ideas that, that sort of had, had, had evolved into the work. Uh, and actually go back in some ways to, to that first idea that I brought up about the tree and the water. And right, the right, right. Uh, and um, they, they were, you know, much more clear in, in my head at that point in time. And um, so I was working with this steel, and, and, she, and she convinced me to go to Italy. I, I dropped everything and uh, was going to get a re- plan to get a residency at the uh, American Academy in Rome because she was sure she'd be able to get me that, and then it turned out it fell through. And so I was kind of, I had nowhere to go, and Barbara, I called Barbara up and said, Barbara, this residency didn't happen. And uh, she said, well, I'm leaving my house for the year. Uh, You you can just stay in my house if you want. (laughs) And uh, so we packed up. It's kind of the same thing. At that point, we had three children. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
you know, a two-year-old, a six-year, five-year, two-year-old, a five-year-old, and an eight-year-old. Um, and Barbara's house was nowhere near a school that we could send them to. Um, it was they, none of us spoke a word of Italian. Um, the the uh, um, possibility there was no no possibility of sending them to school. So it did not make sense for us to pick up and move to this little agrarian town. Um, so we did, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, because you know, my absolute favorite line from Thoreau is the only people who ever get any place interesting are the ones who get lost. Right. And so stepping out into some place that was unfamiliar. Um, it's always uncomfortable to do that, but uh, if you're going to make a discovery, um, that's the nature of the beast. You know, being in a place that is familiar means you've already experienced it. The nature of trying to find something original means you're going to go to a place that you haven't been before, and so on. Uh, you know, on another kind of plane or a different level, this idea of going to this country that I had only been to for two weeks in my, you know, once in my entire life, going over there and living there in a place where there nobody spoke English and I didn't speak any Italian, um, was certainly going to do that for us. And, uh, and we did it. It was the most amazing uh, year of my life, of our whole family's life. It's still impacting us. We still go to Italy all the time. And and I, I, I found out so much by, by spending that first year there. And uh, I eventually ended up founding a school there and going back over the years. Um, but that's when I started traveling a lot. Uh, you know, back and forth. I was in Europe, uh, you know, for, for um, at least about four months a year. Right. And then uh, Chautauqua for about four months a year. And I taught one semester a year in Washington. Right, right. Well, and so, you know, especially because I, I know that, you know, just from reading and, and listening to you talk before, you know, that, that that experience of history there was, you know, really important for you in, in terms of Italy. Um, could you talk a little bit about, about these walls, you know, the, the cause, and, and it's something, it's great that you, that you, that, the, you know, and again, something that I, I really picked up on earlier is just even that, that relationship, that idea of history that you're, that you're invested in, in terms of relating things you know, like a, a rock and having all these trees, you know, a hundred trees that have grown around it for a number yeah. of times. So could you talk a little bit about that, that nature history in terms of Yeah, the interesting, that? one of the things about going and living in a different culture is you find out how much of your own culture you are. And you didn't realize that at the time. But, but um, I think that uh, I, I, when I talk, I get distracted. I, I get too many ideas happening at the same time. But I I'm going to talk about this anyway. I think one, in America, a lot of nature is raw. You know, most nature is raw. In Italy, you can't, you know, you can't uh, 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 pick up a stone that somebody else hasn't picked up before. Right. You know, uh, but, uh, or you know, you look out of a hillside, and um, you know, and, and you think nature, but then you realize, oh, it's terraced all the way up. And it's probably been terraced for 500 years or 1,000 years or 2,000 years. Um, and you, you, uh, you, know, you look at a, a, a forest and then suddenly you realize all the trees are planted in a row. And um, <clears throat> there's this amazing intersection of nature and culture. 
this, where there's this kind of, in the end, I think nature ultimately does reclaim everything, but Italy is a place where you have this huge expanse of time to think about that reclamation or the way that it takes everything back. And um, I, that, so looking at, at things like walls and, and stones and doors and, and the walls just blew me away. The idea, like there was a wall, I had a show while I was over there in this place called Roccapolini and you walk through this entryway into the gallery and the entryway that you walked through, you know, was built by the Etruscans. The same door, that, that arch was built by the Etruscans 700 years before the Romans. And then on top of that archway was a, um, uh, a, a marble sort of uh, ornament that Augustus Caesar had put there. And you think, that's 2,000 years ago. Right. And when Caesar put that there, people had already been you know, brushing their fingers against those same warm stones that I'm brushing. They'd already been walking through that entryway for seven centuries. Right, right. Uh, and, um, and then above the arch was another wall that's, that, in, you know, in, the arch was embedded, the Augustan arch was embedded in, above the Etruscan wall, the uh, Roman arch, and then around that was a wall that was built in the, in the medieval period, and above that was something that was added on during the Renaissance. And so that's just, that kind of sense of stacked time was, is really interesting to me. And then Pompeii. I go to Pompeii, I still go to Pompeii, and every time I go to Pompeii, something new happens. Um, something different happens. I get an experience that I hadn't had before. And I look at those walls and think about, you know, these, the, you know, the frescoes and the the mysteries that were painted, you know, by someone whose name we don't know, in, in a culture whose uh, um, language is called dead, uh, a culture that, you know, never saw, you know, a light bulb, let alone a, a Skype interview. Uh, right, right. That, that, that uh, a culture where no one had ever traveled faster in the entire history of the human race. No one had ever traveled faster than a horse can run. Uh, you know, um, where, you know, we sit, you know, now in this kind of virtual world on, you know, on airplanes, you know, you can, you know, connect and see what's happening on the other side of the planet instantaneously while you're traveling 600 miles an hour. Um, I go into that villa of the mysteries where they haven't seen anyone run half faster than a horse, all these things. I look at those walls and I get goosebumps. And for me, that is like one of the most powerful things about art is that it can, it, I mean, it is the most powerful thing about art that at its highest level, when it's not about the marketplace, when it's not about, you know, my next show at, the, at the, the next hot gallery, when it's not about those, that kind of small-minded thinking, um, when it's about just being what it is, uh, which is all those frescoes are, like somebody was hired to paint those frescoes on the wall, um, and I can look at that across you know, 20 centuries, across language, 
across culture, across time, the whole thing. And I can still get goosebumps looking at it. That is the power of significant art. That's why Piero is great. That's why Laetitian is great. That's why, you know, the, the, when we think of things that don't have a name to be associated with them, they still can move us. That's, like, incredible. Right, right. That's in the, and that's kind of, in, in a sense, that's what I get about looking at the walls and the, and the, and the time in them and the, the way nature and culture meet, the whole thing. It's just incredible. And, and well, and how did that how did that affect your work? You know, in terms of that time period, were you still then uh, work, uh, working I with a lot of fields? Wild, crazy, sort of. You know, they, in retrospect, they look very art worldy to me. Right? My collages, because if I look at the time period, I did. I, but they were, uh, you know, these kind of sculptural, high key color, um, sometimes shaped, sometimes not shaped. And I, I think I still like these pieces, and I think there are things I can see in those pieces that are in the later work. Um, they, um, when I got to Italy, everything slowed down. The, the color slowed down. The, the um, it was one of, that was a fairly cathartic shift, um, and and the color became well. First of all, it slowed down because I had no money. We spent you know we had three kids, and my wife and I and a dog, and I'm on half half of a teacher's salary, right. we got to Italy, and there was nothing left you right. know, when, when we landed. So, <laughs> so I was painting out of the refrigerator on, on stuff that I could find. You know, I was, so, so, you know, I was pouring, you know, using red wine and white wine and vinegar and, right. and you know, whatever you know, things I could find. I was using scrap wood. And, um, so the, 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 that alone, I think, again, this is I didn't realize it at the time. I'm only really thinking about this right now. But I think that slowed the color down. The fact that I was, I was forced to limit myself to essentially earth-based colors. Um, but that, you know, a lot of the process was still similar. I mean, I was still, you know, I was I was finding pieces of, of uh, fired clay and making sort of quasi collage and then drawing on it and uh, and. And not trying to mimic walls or anything like that. All this stuff about the walls, I really wasn't, didn't even know I was thinking about the walls while I was there. This all came, you know, a couple of years later, looking back at the work, saying, oh my God, that's coming right from, you know, from, it's sort of like, I think, for me, and this is one of my big uh, arguments uh, in, in terms of contemporary art schools, uh, where one is supposed to, you know, Develop a thesis. Give me your elevator statement. You know, when you walk in, how? What's your work about? You know, I don't know what the hell my work's about when I'm making it. If I knew what it was about, I would have already experienced it. In order to know what it's about, you have to be in a place that you don't already know. You know. Sure. Otherwise, all you're doing is is being academic. You're just being incredibly academic. And so much of what grad school is right now, and I have these fights all the time in, 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 in uh, group critiques and things, is, is about developing your thesis, explaining your thesis, and then having work that illustrates your thesis. You know, uh, the, the, At the time, I did not know that these paintings were about the walls um, or were being influenced by the walls. Anymore, 
well, I won't say that, but I, I didn't know they were about those walls. Um, the, the, um, it was more like just being a vessel, you know, and stuff gets poured into you and, and art comes out on the other end. And I think that's where the real creative process happens. I don't think it happens in, in developing an idea and then figuring out how to execute it. Right, right. I think it happens in the detours, in the, in the mistakes, in the accidents, in the chance, in the, uh, you know. And then in having, again, the, the ability to recognize daylight when it happens. Right, right. Well, and so I, I guess, you know, um, in terms now of then maybe, you know, turning this on more towards the the work that you're making now, um, you know, um, it seems like the the 1996 was significant for you. Could you talk a little bit about? Well, 96 was, that was, uh, that was, no, that, that was not the flood. Are you talking about okay. the flood? Yeah, yeah. So the 96 was, you know, we started going to Italy, I think, in 93 or 94, somewhere in there. Okay. And had been doing that, uh, you know, for a long time. 2003 is the flood. Okay, and okay. But the year before that, I was still, the work was still evolving, uh, still, you know, changing, but slowly. And I had uh, another sabbatical. You get a sabbatical if you're doing, you know, universities give you the award of a sabbatical if you're doing enough research, you know, meaning showing and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, the, uh, I had another sabbatical. You get one every seventh year. Uh, and if, if or you can get one every seventh year, and um, it, it, as long as you're you're being productive, and um, the the uh, we had another sabbatical. The kids at this point, like the way we dealt with being in Italy was we, you know, and and not speaking the language, we just homeschooled the kids for a year. We could do that when the oldest one was eight, um, but uh, seven years later, you know. You start dealing with algebra, right? Or calculus, <laughs> or you know, we, you know, what, what I, we couldn't do it, and um, so we, I, I, um, I wanted to go somewhere that seemed exotic, but couldn't think of where I could go because we had to deal. We couldn't afford to send the kids to private school in some country where you know where they spoke a different language. Then all of a sudden, I thought, wait a minute, Kauai. The island of Kauai, that's a state. Right, right. You have to pay tuition. You know, Hawaii is a state. So we, we went to Hawaii for, for that sabbatical. And I um, I was doing work there, with similar kind of like figuring out how to make work in a new place. And I'll also, uh, I spent a lot of time walking along the cliffs. Um, and uh, I loved fishing, and I would go fishing and uh, along the shore and um, one day I walked along the cliffs and I looked down and there's all this, these pieces of steel, like old refrigerators and car engines and, uh, and cars, motorcycles, all been tossed over the cliff. And, and I was like, my God, here we are in Kauai. And the, it's like the most beautiful place on the planet. You know? It's where they filmed Jurassic Park, you know. Right. It's like, <laughs> it, 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 how can you just throw your car over this gorgeous cliff? And, and um, I walked down into all that garbage and started looking at it closely and realized, you know, it looked, first of all, it looked like a lot of the steel pieces I'd been doing color-wise. And um, then, then suddenly realized, geez, 
this is kind of the same idea because there are places where you can't tell whether it's a rock or a piece of steel. And um, the Pacific Ocean is taking this all back. You know, just the salt water is just, nature is taking it back. You know, and, it, and it, there's something beautiful in that idea, just like the tree and the rock and the water at the beginning, the way that nature takes it back. And I ended up making work based on that, um, talking about that, writing about it for a catalog, for a show, taking that work and finishing it in Italy, actually, that year. Uh, and then um, to that whole idea of the way that the water was taking everything back. Um, and we went to Chautauqua for the summer. Uh, the next summer, uh, two weeks into the summer, got a phone call uh, that water was, my studio was underneath the, the uh, living area of our house, and then bedrooms above that, and uh, we got a call that water was coming out of the living area, and I thought, well, that's not possible, because there's a whole floor underneath that, right. and uh, my neighbor went over, and the whole studio was flooded, and I had 25 years worth of, of uh, works on paper in there, all the photographs of the kids growing up, all of our, my computers were, my computer was underwater, uh, you know, this was 2003, so we weren't fully digital. We were just kind of going into that. So all my images were on slides. They were all uh, floating around, destroyed. I had packed up our photographs and sat them on top of my desk in the studio, and the water was above the, the desk. Uh, so all of our photographs were destroyed, most of them. And it was, uh, you know, so basically this whole idea of... Uh, nature taking everything back um, kind of jumped up and bit me in the face. Uh, and it was it was a very devastating experience. It was, uh, uh, it was horrific for me as an artist. 25, all the, you know, I talk about, you know, all those drawings that I did from the figure, all the watercolors, everything was pulped. Uh, the photos were all just completely, Lois, uh, got in the car and drove down, it's, it's about six and a half hours to Washington from Chautauqua. She drove down that night, came back the next day with three garbage, three or four garbage bags full of the photographs. And I started peeling them apart. It was, um, it was crushing and I couldn't get images back. And um, that I was scheduled to give a talk on the amphitheater stage in Chautauqua. And so I had, I did have one tray of slides up here for that talk, and uh, gave the talk, and then, and at the end explained what had just happened uh, a few days earlier, or a week or two earlier, and um, somebody asked me if I had ever painted through pain, which I thought was the weirdest question I ever heard, and I said uh, I, I don't know, but uh, I started talking. So I thought, you know, if this is a big audience, I've got to come up with an answer to this kind of strange question. <laughs> and then I realized I'd been spending the last two weeks peeling these photographs, obsessively trying to get these pictures back, find something, anything, salvage anything out of this flood. And uh, it, it, this incredibly painful experience. And um, in the middle of, you know, I, I just started talking because I figured, you know, I don't know how to answer this, but I do teach, so... I'll just start talking until something comes out that makes sense. Right, <laughs> right. And I realized that I'd been doing this, and suddenly I thought, 
you know, those images that are showing up, they're absolutely beautiful, these destroyed photos, like pieces of things. And it's just like the same things with the fragments in Rome or the, and, and the fragments in Pompeii. I mean, they were just fragments, only it wasn't this big grand thing, it was just my little life. And, um, and so it was, it was hard. I, I, did, I did go into a severe depression that lasted three and a half years. Um, and I just went through the motions and I, I, I started taking, taking this work and uh, trying to find ways to use that, not this work, these destroyed images. And I used those destroyed images uh, to uh, come up with something new. Um, which is, that's what I've been working on ever since then. And it was, and, and I, it absolutely, the, you know, I, when I, I, it's kind of complicated to explain, but I basically use the a digital processes and then start painting on the paintings and, and uh, you use the structure of what is left from the destroyed image to, to make a new painting. It's kind of like using the second part of my life to repaint the first part. Right, um, right. You know, and um, and I think it's the most it's it's uh, every, I now I asked this question that you talked about earlier about you know seeing something and saying oh it looks like somebody else's I asked people about that and, and you know people who were in the or well everybody says that you know I've never seen anything like this and I do feel like that you know that that's a see that was two thousand three so I was fifty three I think fifty two or fifty three when that happened and. Um, that's, I would say, probably the first original work I did in my life. Was in, it started in my in the fifties, and it was a result of this 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 uh, uh, interruption, this, this uh, you know losing everything turned out to be a gift. Sure, sure. And so, so, and I'm really excited about this work now. It's the best work I've ever done. Um, so, in a way, I feel like painting saved my life too. Sure. Well, it, is it is it then just at this point? I mean, then is it even more liberating since you don't you don't have a cat? You know, like that catalog of you know. I mean, hell, I've 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 only got like ten, fifteen years of a catalog. But if if I lost everything that I have now, I I don't know what I would. You know what I mean? I right. right. I could imagine maybe understanding that, but I would think that it maybe. It is liberating. Yeah, it's liberating. It's like I don't know how to do what I used to know how to do, and that's great. You know. Um, because it's I just, it's I go in with that image, and and I just start working, and it it has as much to do with what happens as I do, and it's a it's like it's this dialogue between me and and, and chance, and 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 uh, but there, it it also is sort of like the interesting thing in it is it's. The residue. This is what gets you going in the morning. It's the not that anybody has to see this when, when they see the work. It's just what gets me going. In the, it sort of contains everything, but I don't know what it is. Right. It contains it all, you know. But I, I, I have no idea what it is. So it's like it's <laughs> in a very strange way. It's like. It's a you know my life then and all of my experiences in that, and I'm trying to kind of pull something back out of it, riffing off of what's there, 
in, in some ways like the, the way a jazz musician might riff off of a structure. Um, but the fact that it, it's like, I feel like I'm going to go in there today and I don't know what's going to happen because I, I, you know, I didn't really make this, but I did really make this. I did a big piece um, uh, that was, I think it is about um, 12 feet high and 9 feet wide, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's a series of, of the, in, these images that I don't know what they were. And um, I called it, I, in Italian, I can't remember how to say it in Italian, questo non li ho fatto io, questi faccia me, or something like that. But what it basically, uh, it was, um, its title was, I didn't make these, these made me. Right. Um, and that's what kind of, like, I feel like is happening in the studio now. And so, so when you do go in there now, I mean, um, do you, do you have a bunch of things that you're working on at the same time or? Yeah, I do work on different, yeah, yeah. I work on different things at the same time and I work in a way that's very, you know, the work, the interesting thing about using this destroyed work is the color all came back into the work that was in the collages, but right. it no longer has this kind of quasi abstract expressionist reference, uh, that, that. You know, the abstract expressions to me are just amazing. It was an amazing period of time. Um, and I think that was still, that was in the same way that Cezanne was in the earlier work. I think those guys were still like voices back in the back of my head in those collages. This work has all of what was working in the collages in terms of color and that kind of thing. Um, but it doesn't have that, that kind of baggage. Um, it's just what it is, you know. And it's, it's like, the, you know, everything... Um, that's in there is, uh, comes out of, you know, a life lived, um, in a new way, you know, in a way I didn't, didn't understand it before. To me, that's, that's, uh, that's what trying to be creative is about. Well, and so, um, you know, we've only, um, we actually are winding down a little bit, um, in terms, <laughs> in terms of the question order. Well, you know, and it, it's just, it's just that, you know, you, you know, I, I think at some point in the same way that you want to leave um, people to discover something about your work, you know, I, I think that people can find the same things in, in listening to a conversation like this in terms yeah. of, of the, the, the way that, that one kind of discovers things about about artwork or, or maybe obviously like the types of things that, that you take from, from your surroundings and, and become inspired by. But, um, you know, in terms of talking about that, that um, you know, you obviously have a lot of experience or you know, I, I would imagine when you see your work, you respond to that, all the things that you've been talking about. Um, but could you talk a little bit about, I guess, the way that then it's received um, in terms of the, the people that, that, that have seen it and, and maybe know you or talk to you about it? Well, I, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm talking, I think the work is, you know, the other thing is um, I have no um, bugaboo about beauty, mm -hmm. you know, and I, the work is, uh, you know, like, it, 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 beauty is like a dirty word, you know, in, 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 uh, in art, um, not, not as much as it was 10 years ago, but, but it, you know, they, they had that show, they had a show at the National Gallery that was kind of a sensational show called Beauty, I mm -hmm. mean, because, because the idea of beauty was controversial. 
Um, I, you know, it's kind of a sad state of affairs when the idea of beauty, the idea itself, has to be controversial. Um, but um, if they take away some of this idea, that all these ideas I'm talking about, that's great. If all they get is that they're beautiful, that's okay with me too. Um, I, I do think uh, that, that, that there's plenty in that. I, I think when you look at the work, when you see it firsthand, you do get this kind of sense of, of uh, you know, time somehow, or something was there, and and uh, that, that that somehow, I mean, I, you know, they're, they're fragments of things, and I think the way we understand everything, you know, well, the way we understand every great civilization in history is through fragments. You know, we, don't, we don't have any whole pictures. And so these things are, you know, in, in some ways very similar to, to, you know, just a fragment of, of uh, an experience of life. And, and then, you know, I, I usually by the time it gets to a show, some of this story is, is, is up on the wall or been written about or, you know, people seem to come to it with a little bit of knowledge about about it. Um, and that can't but help the way that you look at the work. Um, if you if you know that they come out of uh, uh, loss, you know, that, that uh, loss plays such a major role in the work. Um, I think a lot of people really receive it in a very positive way. Sure. Um, Everybody's had that. Every, you know, every. I love literature. One of the great lines from Plato is, it is, uh, um, it's like don't um, something about. Oh, he just says basically he says be kind because everybody you meet is fighting a hard struggle. Right. And we, you know, every you sit back and this. This also is one of those things I think that comes as you get older too. You just sort of realize, you know, nobody's normal. Nobody, nobody doesn't confront uh, loss in their life. Nobody gets out free, you know. Um, so I think the fact that the work deals with that idea gives people a handle, even if they know nothing about, uh, you know, you know, about the kind of history that led up to this work or. Or you know the the history that preceded this work, you know, whole life. Even if they know nothing about abstract painting at all, even if they still think, you know, oh, somebody could, you know, my child could have done that. You know, right. they still are able to, to to respond to the work in a way that I, I mean, I do see people look at it and they look at it a long time usually. So I feel good about that. Right, right. Because uh, I know they're not looking at it to find the sailboat. Sure. Well, and, and so, um, you know, obviously you, you spend a lot of time reading, I'm, I'm guessing too, but um, I guess in terms of supporting that in the studio, do you, do you, um, do you have any favorite uh, tunes that you wind up listening to while you're working? Or, or oh, there's a whole, i got a whole system for that. I don't know why. I, I just can't imagine that you get distracted by, by other things that, you know, maybe, maybe some other... Uh, People that are addicted to, and again, I've never seen Game of Thrones, for example, but I mean, I know that artists kind of get, you know, caught up in these kinds of things, but um, I'm, I would hope that maybe music is something that uh, is, I don't know, important to you, but um, what do you think? I, I, I love all kinds of music, obviously, you know, everything except for, I, I've just, I've never been able to get into uh, 
Well, I would, I'm not crazy about rap, but I would not listen to something that, like that in the studio because it just is too, that would distract me. But, um, but I'd, I'll put on rock and roll sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, but I've got my process. It's like I'll start out with something kind of low-key uh, that, that is, you know, just ordinary, you know, whatever, you know, some, some kind of rock and roll or something. Uh, and then as I get involved, it'll slip into blues. And then, mm-hmm. like, I know I'm working when the blues start playing. And then, uh, then it could go to classical music um, after that. Um, I love like like uh, you know, like I'll, I'll listen to um, like Renaissance music, you know, like those uh, uh, Gregorian chants and things like that. But that and it kind of goes through. And, and actually, back in the rock and roll, one of my favorite ones to listen to is Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, I love listening to the stories, but. When I really start working, I can't have my mind understanding words, so that has to go out after a little while. Sure, sure. Uh, and then um, there's a point. Then there's a point uh, that happens where I just don't even hear the hear me. But but it, it gets like more and more meditative. The music as I'm working. You know? Sure, sure. Uh, um, jazz will fit in there instead of blues sometimes. Um, right. That that sort of steady beat kind of thing is early on in the process and then it gets to meditative uh, and then eventually I don't hear it or it goes off and I find I've been working a couple hours with no music you know so. right right well and I would imagine then that you know you find you know inspiration kind of from anywhere then too in terms oh, of, of, of supporting yeah, those things inspiration any, like that's a, yeah that's um, I started out saying I, I'm thinking of myself as some, some kind of separation I was making there, and as I was saying, I was thinking, no, that's not true. You can't. Uh, everything is connected. You know, I don't think you can. I think that um, you know, it's it, all that information comes in. Like when I was talking about the way the walls affected me, it's like I'm not thinking literally or con- consciously about those walls. It just comes in. Um, and I think that your whole life functions that. But, I mean, basically, if you're an artist, you want to be talking about something. So for me, I'd like to be talking about a life experience. But you got to have the experience, and you have to be paying attention to the experience in order to have it somehow work in some convoluted way into what it is that the, the, image, the images represent. Um, the, the, uh, so, so I don't think there's, that it's possible to really... You know, separate one aspect of your life for another. I think everything is just so amazingly, inextricably interconnected that you can't possibly separate one thing from another. Interesting. And I wonder, though, could you talk a little bit about how you think that someone might be able to use some of those experiences to, to make more meaningful work or, or to kind of transition into to making work that's more about themselves rather than something else? I was thinking... I don't know how this somehow tied into the you know it ties into the idea that that um, of grounding and then going somewhere with your work and, and taking it someplace. And I think that the like most important thing I can really get a younger artist to understand because you you know there's a um, Cezanne said what seduces one most is the personality of the artist. 
You know, what seduces one most is the personality of the artist. So you're not really seeing the work, you're seeing the artist. And you want to be, as a young artist, you want to be that person, you know. Um, and I think that the, the place where it starts to really, um, where you start to really begin that journey to finding your own voice is where you, um, you know, you stop trying to be somebody and you start trying to figure out who you are, you know. Um, and, and, and that's what you need to do is like you stop trying to be like, I want to be so-and-so. And you start saying, I want to know who I am, you know. Sure. Um, and, and, that, and that's the only way you can offer something real. You know, maybe one thing, just because we have a little bit of time left, um, and maybe just to put you on the spot then, I mean, is there is there something that you would say that you've seen in the last week that's blown your mind? Um, or something that you could kind of pull from in the last what well, and I normally I normally ask this about you know the idea of uh, seeing some important show but it, it seems like maybe that that's not something that ever you know, I, ever I has to register for thesis, it you know yeah I, I start my grad thesis classes off by asking students to tell me you know to, to do a, a five to ten minute talk on three things that have influenced them and none of them can be art Um you know, you, I, I don't. You know, I don't want to go to the. You know, art obviously is is a, a, a big thing for you, um, but um, I, you know, from the things. You know what's interesting? When you said it, I thought, well, I was walking down Chautauqua Creek last week, and that was pretty amazing. Uh, and I, I was looking at the stream and, and this water coming over things, and then. The weather's been going back and forth. I mean, we're on the lake. I'm up in Chautauqua now, so we're on a lake, and you can you have a big, expansive view, and you can see like the weather as you can see where the demarcation is between you know the 80 degree weather and the thunderstorm, the 80 degree hot sunny weather and the thunderstorm, and I've you know I've been watching that the last couple of days, and that's pretty mind blowing. Um, and then I'm just thinking about what's happened in the last two or three days. This is kind of a dull answer, though. <laughs> but uh, wait, I went down. My mother, I'm going to show you this image right here just because this is one of a few pieces. I don't even know if you can see it or it's Yeah, it. I can see it. And that, that's a photo that still has some image in it. Mm -hmm. And it's an image of... of you know, when I peeled the photograph apart, I could see my mother and my daughter enough to pull back a little bit of them by painting a little bit into it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> my mother died of Alzheimer's, and uh, so it, it, in, in some way that kind of, I spent 10 years watching her kind of slowly fade away, which relates to this whole uh, idea of nature taking everything back, too. And... <clears throat> Yesterday I went down, or Monday, yeah. <clears throat> Yesterday we went down, uh, her grave is about 100 miles south of here. So we went down with my family to, you know, visit the grave and put some plants and flowers and things. And um, <clears throat> I have other relatives buried there. <laughs> One of the most amazing things, my grandfather, who I knew very well, his home growing up, uh, he lived to be pretty old, uh, and grandmother were buried there. And then I, their their mother, my 
grandmother's mother is also buried there, and I saw her grave, and she told me that, because that was my great-grandmother, she was, I was four years old, I think, and I, when I, I, I remember her, my great-grandmother, I was four years old when she died, and I remember, always remember her telling me that, she, this is kind of like the stat story about Pompeii, I remember her telling me about going to the train station uh, in Oil City, Pennsylvania, and sitting, when she was the same age as me, when she was four years old, sitting on her father's shoulders, and waving at Abraham Lincoln when he went by. And it was like, my God, that I actually know somebody who saw Abraham Lincoln. Right, right. <clears throat> and the thing that was amazing was next, because I hadn't seen this before, was next to her grave were her parents' graves. That were going back to like 1803, and I thought, my God, that just that, that was amazing. That's the most amazing thing that's happened in the last week was was seeing that. Excellent, excellent. In front of me, you know? All right. Okay. Um, well, and and, you, and just to, just before we close out, is is there anything um, anything coming up that that we should know about? Um, any big exhibitions? <clears throat> well, I have. Um, I have not, not not in Chicago. The next solo big solo show I'm going to have is going to be in uh, Corpus Christi uh, in in Texas in the fall. I, I think it's going to be it's not, it might be next fall. I can't remember. Okay, but that's the next thing coming up. Is uh, it's cool. I want to get out. I've never been to Corpus Christi. Sure, sure. So we're going to do a show there. We're going to show my work there. A good size show of my, my recent work there. And then um, another Chautauqua student and I. Uh, I don't know if you ever met Amber Schoon. Do you know Amber? No. Well, she's gotten very. She's teaching down there and and has gotten very involved in uh, uh, like. You know how you, inner city re- restoration reclamation, and and uh, we're going to take over an abandoned building and try and do something with it. Well, that's excellent. You know, I I think um, everybody should look forward to to seeing um, how all this plays out and and to see you know the work in its its uh, its gallery grandiose yeah. setting. So, and if you go to New York, you can just walk into the Denise Bebro and ask her to see it. Okay, okay. She's got it in the gallery. Well, it's great <laughs> chatting with you. Good chatting with you, too. Nice to see you, David. Thanks again to Don for joining us today. If you want to see more of his work, just go to Denise Bibro Fine Arts. If you happen to just come across this podcast and this is the first time you're listening, remember we've got 33 other episodes that you can check out. Once again, you can go to the default player under the Studio Break website, or you can check it out in iTunes. Just go and search for Studio Break under the iTunes store, and you'll find it that way where you can become a subscriber. If you want to get updates about what's going on at Studio Break, who's coming up next, please become a fan on Facebook. Just search for Studio Break on Facebook to find the fan page. And once again, if you are a MFA or BFA, if you're looking for something to do in the Arlington Heights suburbs, we've got a show entitled Cost of Living opening at Treehouse Gallery at 728 North Dryden Avenue. Some great things going on in that unique space, so I highly recommend checking that out. The show starts at 7 p.m. And it opens this Saturday, June 2nd. Our intro song for today was Norwegian's Hillbillies History, and taking us out will be Sad Soul Circus Colorful Lights. 
Once again, you can find that at freemusicarchive.org, where they've got thousands and thousands of songs that you can just download for free. So please check that out. In case you're unfamiliar with my work, you can check it out at davidlinway.com. I'm currently just working and working and working, making a lot of new paintings for this upcoming show, so that'll be updated real shortly. But once again, the show is opening up June 16th at the Peoria Arts Guild in Peoria, Illinois, so I hope to see a lot of you there. And that's all for today's show, so please, please hit us up at Facebook. Please leave us some comments on the blog. It'd be greatly appreciated, and we'd love to hear who's listening. We'll talk to you real soon.